Why can't summer be every day? A question for the ages, yet physicians need to remember that in addition to beaches, camping, and hiking, summer can bring with it the tick-borne diseases. A vector-borne peril, or lichiosis, is on the rise in the Midwest. You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Today we are discussing vector-borne diseases. In this segment, we will be focusing on our lichiosis. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. With me today is Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. She received her master's in biology with an emphasis in ecological field assessment from Pittsburgh State University, and for those of you who may not know, that's actually in Kansas. Welcome, Mrs. Yates. Thank you. We're pleased to have you on the show. So the first question that I have is, uh, I never actually even heard of a lichiosis. Is it a virus, a parasite, a bacteria? Ehrlichiosis is caused by a bacteria. There are actually three different types of ehrlichiosis, and molecular genetics have actually pulled one of those that we were calling ehrlichiosis off into another category. They're all closely related. They're intracellular pathogens. Yes, and all of the rickettsials have more or less evolved as having a vector component in their life cycle. And lots of the rickettsials are not pathogenic, but there are some that are. The ehrlichiosis that we see here in Missouri is ehrlichiosis chaffiensis, and it is, it's carried by the lone star tick, which is a tick that has a very sort of Midwest down into Texas, even down into Mexico distribution. Another ehrlichiosis is carried by the deer tick, and it has a different distribution. So really, where you are in the country will probably determine what type of ehrlichiosis you're seeing. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about the life cycle of these little buggers? Ticks have to have a meal every time they move from one life stage to the next. And so they hatch out and immediately look for a blood meal. It happens often that at that point in their life, they are infected, usually picking the bacteria up from some small mammal, maybe chipmunks, mice, rabbits. Actually, ehrlichiosis has not been very well studied yet, and so there are a lot of holes in what we know about it. But then the tick goes more or less dormant, until the following season, and then it comes out and it's looking for another blood meal. And often it's that second stage, nymph stage, that is responsible for human disease. Do the nymphs wind up in the skin and then they feed, or how does that work? The nymphs carry the bacteria. They picked it up in their previous stage, and then they have it there in their gut. It's more or less dormant at that point, but then they are out seeking a second blood meal, and sometimes that blood meal is a a larger mammal, like a coyote or a turkey or a deer, and then sometimes it's a human being. And what happens is they begin to take that blood meal, and the bacteria come out of their dormancy, and the bacteria are then moved from the tick into the host through the process of the 
the tick bite and the tick taking up the blood. So what's happening with the epidemiology of the disease? Where is this a problem currently? It's very interesting. We are seeing increases this year statewide. And what that appears to be telling us is that this is a very good year for ticks, and it's also a very good year for infected ticks ticks that are infected with the Ehrlichia bacteria. Does this year stand out from all other years, or have you seen this before? This is really the first year that we have seen anything like this. And, of course, some of it we can probably attribute to increased awareness, increased testing, but we really believe that we're seeing a true increase, um, and we're basing that on the fact that a much higher percentage of the cases that we're seeing this year are PCR confirmed, which means they've been able to isolate the DNA, and that indicates that you know we're looking at an acute infection. If you have just joined us, you are listening to Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services. She received her master's in biology with an emphasis in ecological field assessment from Pittsburgh State University. Today we are discussing vector-borne diseases. This segment has been focusing on ehrlichiosis. So what are the symptoms of the disease? Well, ehrlichiosis looks a lot like a lot of other nonspecific infectious diseases or sometimes non-infectious diseases. It comes on looking kind of like a summer flu. Invariably, you know, there's going to be a sudden onset of a fever, headache, chills, malaise, myalgias. How quickly do these symptoms resolve? Do these symptoms always resolve or can a patient get very, very sick? It's thought that there are actually asymptomatic infections with ehrlichiosis. And so only a small minority of people go on to really manifest disease. Unfortunately, what happens is that the bacteria is able to spread throughout the body and attacks organs and a person becomes very, very ill. I see. Have there been any fatalities in Missouri? Yes, we've actually had two this year. That's another indicator for us that we're seeing true increase in disease numbers. One was actually a child, a 7-year-old child, and then the other was a 65-year-old man. So as with many of these other vector-borne diseases, they pick off the young and the old. The statistics for ehrlichiosis tends to be weighted toward higher case numbers in older individuals. A death for ehrlichiosis in a child is is really pretty unusual. And the reason that they're thinking that it is weighted toward the older age range is that people's declining immune systems make them more susceptible to severe infection. What about laboratory tests? What laboratory tests can concern doctors order? If a doctor suspects ehrlichiosis or any other tick-borne disease. The problem is is that with a lot of these diseases, a lot of the tick-borne diseases, the immune response is really not detectable at the presentation. So what happens is a serology is ordered and there is no detectable response or there's a low response. And so it's very difficult to make a determination from that one test. As a public health measure, we like to encourage that there be a second draw of blood two to three weeks later for serology. You're talking about antibody titers? Yes. Aha. What about the DNA testing? You mentioned something about that earlier. That definitely 
the cutting edge for diagnosis of ehrlichiosis. The important thing to remember is that, you know, the turnaround on that is can be, you know, a couple of days, maybe even longer if the laboratory batches their specimens. And treatment decisions have to be made before the results come back in. And treatment is generally, for all these vector-borne diseases, generally doxycycline? Yes, it is. What prevention efforts is the Missouri Health Department undertaking to try to mitigate this epidemic? We've been very fortunate to be able to develop a very nice relationship with the DEET industry. And what they have done is actually provided us with little samples of insect repellent that contain DEET. They've actually donated cans of insect repellent, and we provide these to local health departments. And, of course, we're not going to be able to do that indefinitely, but what we're looking at is that we want people to know that the public health community is very comfortable with the use of these insect repellents that have DEET as an active ingredient. There's a, we think that there is a very huge perception out there that, that DEET is very dangerous. And I've heard people tell me that it's a carcinogen, you know, it's, it's related to DDT, and we really want to try to make the public understand that DEET has something like 60 years of testing and experience with its safety. It has a very, very good track record in terms of safety. What about other insect repellents? Like, I believe another type of insect repellent has promethrin in it. I think that's actually for to actually prevent tick bites. Permethrin is another wonderful insecticide repellent that you can use. You have to be very sure that it's not used on the skin. It's to be applied to clothing and to camping gear, that kind of thing. And with both of these active ingredients in a repellent or in an insecticide, it's really important that people read the label and they follow the label. With the permethrin, it has chemical properties that actually bind it to the surface of the material that it's been, been sprayed on, and it, it can actually last through several laundering's. So it, it's a very, very effective, and, and it actually is an insecticide. I want to thank Karen Yates, an epidemiologist with the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services, who has been our guest. We have been discussing vector-borne diseases. In this segment, we have focused on the summertime increase in ehrlichiosis. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions about this program, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.